0: Countless times a year, many of us make our way through the routine that is the airport experience. From knowing our favorite parking lot, or maybe that favorite friend who is gullible enough, or willing enough, should we say, to drop us off at the curb, we know when to hit that TSA checkpoint and what restaurants we like to eat at. Terminals are often brightly lit and filled with people as they go through their travel routine or working days. When we think of hauntings, we very rarely think of airports we think of abandoned hospitals, abandoned mansions. Probably the closest we get to a thought of this is on a flight to Orlando and maybe the Haunted Mansion right at Disney. However, airports rank high on the most wanted listings, and for this episode, we are going to the Deep South, where gas lanterns line the streets, and so does Spanish moss. After this episode, Next time you're in the terminal, maybe next time you feel like somebody is crowding your personal space or sitting too close to you, you won't find that it's a person, but someone from beyond the grave. Welcome to Destination Aviation. All right, everybody. Well, welcome back to episode two. I hope this means that you liked episode one, which is a recap. We know is a vanishing over Lake Michigan. And as I kind of talked about in the first episode, some of the things we want to do on this podcast is get into different stories, um, highlight airports. So this story, actually from the intro, is Savannah International Airport, uh, which sits in Savannah, which is one of the most haunted towns in north america Uh, if you've been there a lot of history Uh, if you haven't been great place to visit Uh, savannah is the second largest airport in georgia behind probably what most have already guessed being atlanta airport but it has a long history Um, so we'll probably get a little bit of that and then a little bit into the ghostly stories and how uh, they came to be for the savannah international airport Uh, For those aviation enthusiasts out there, you know, it's the home of the Gulfstream corporate headquarters, which I believe they were just flight testing the Gulfstream 800, which I'm sure everybody is about to run out and purchase one. Um, I know I'm thinking of training in uh, my Cessna 172, (laughs) uh, which now feels like an upgrade. I, I trained on a Remos, which is an interesting aircraft. It's Kind of like a bush plane, only can't land in the bush, but I think the claim to fame is uh, you could take the wings and tail off basically from the empennage within four hours. So it can break down like a bush plane, but definitely cannot land in the bush. So uh, probably why you don't see or hear about the Remos that much. But enough of me at the moment. Let's get into the story of the Savannah International Airport hauntings. So I recently started working with for Flight when I fly. Uh, it is uh, an amazing tool. I had a chance probably about, oh boy, it must have been 10 years ago now, uh, to tour 787. And uh, just some of the instruments in that flight deck uh, blew me away. And I feel like in some way the four flight (laughs) allows me to do a little bit of flying that is a little less stick and rudder and maybe has some sophistication in it. But part of that, uh, which I've always done part of my career, but just looking at, you know, the airfield diagram. So at Savannah International Airport, we are Class Charlie Airspace. We have a 9,300 foot runway that's on 1028. So that is 100 degrees and 280 degrees for people that aren't as familiar with runway designations. It's basically just a heading on a compass. So zero to 360 degrees. And then the other runway is uh, one and uh, one nine. So uh, once again, you know, uh, on the Cardinals and that's 7,000 roughly feet. So uh, a couple really good runways, uh, good airspace, everything you would expect from a small hub airport kind of has all the services that uh, any pilot could need. The early history of the Savannah-Hilton Head International Airport, Savannah-Hilton Head International Airport, right, trying to mix in where the area actually is, kind of like when you see Orlando-Sanford or you see Orlando-Melbourne or Melbourne-Orlando, everybody just tries to kind of push in like, hey, fly here and you can get there. So we got the uh, Savannah-Hilton Head International Airport, which dates back to the 1920s. Uh, initially known as savannah municipal airport no surprise there most airports had a name around that in the 1920s 30s 40s 50s uh, or as you see in still los angeles lawa the los angeles world airports airports love to toss around different terms uh this day and age uh international seems to be what airports like to stick with at least for now Uh, With eVTOLs coming on the scene, who knows? Maybe it will be electric, vertical lift, takeoff, international, all-encompassing airports. During World War II, uh, the U.S. uh, Army Air Corps took over the airport and expanded it significantly. Uh, It was used as a military airfield for training and support missions. And this gets a little bit into where we start later on talking about how the hauntings of the airport came about. Uh, in the post-war era, the airport returned to civilian control. Not under or uh, not unknown in this industry, right? It's I think what they refer to as a AP four agreements. Uh, basically, the federal government came in, invested a bunch of money during wartime, and then handed those assets back off to uh, local control. So, the airport underwent further development. To accommodate uh, growing demand of air travel, uh, the city of Savannah recognized the importance of a modern airport and made efforts to improve the facilities. Obviously, when these were handed over from the military, uh, they weren't looking so much as the creature comforts, right, that we expect in our terminals, especially nowadays. In the 1980s, that's when the name was changed to the Savannah International Airport to reflect uh, growing importance as the International Gateway uh, and expanded and modernized through the 1990s and the 2000s. Uh, this is a new terminal, new runways, uh, and other facilities were upgraded. In uh, present day, uh, it's become one of the busiest airports, as we spoke, uh, spoke about, in Georgia, uh, not only serving Savannah, but also nearby Hilton Head, South Carolina. Uh, it continues to attract more and more airlines, especially as we see that migration of people from the north in America to the south. And uh, georgia is picking up like most southern states with population growth so how did the airport become haunted it's said that if you're coming in to land just after sundown two figures will peer just along the north side of the runway what forms the basis of a ghost story however is an actual historical event which ended in two gravestones being embedded in the runway of the airport yes you heard that correctly When you land at the Savannah Hilton Head International Airport, your aircraft is actually going over two graves that are buried within the runway, and they have flush mounted gravestones. This started in World War II. The military airport, as we spoke about earlier, was originally owned and farmed by the Dotson family. The area where the graves are used to be the family cemetery. And it included more than 100 graves of family members. Not unheard of back in the day, right? Catherine and Richard Dotson were buried in their respective graves in 1877 and 1884. At the time, the Dotson Farm was located on the outskirts of Savannah, back when it was called Cherokee Hills. In World War II, the farmland was chosen as a takeoff spot for the B-24 Liberators and the B-17 Flying Fortress. The spot was chosen because prior to the war, the bulk of both civilian and military air travel revolved around makeshift runways in Savannah. When the Army struck an agreement to build an airstrip with the Dotson family, the graves were moved to another location, but the Dotsons had one condition, which even the U.S. Army followed. They demanded the graves of Catherine and Richard Dotson remain undisturbed. The Army honored the deal and the graves of the original landowner remained in the vicinity of the military airport. Grave sites at airports are not uncommon, as we think. As we talked about before, a majority of airports in this country were built around World War II and then handed off to local municipalities. They were built on farmlands because farmlands made the most sense, right? They were already cleared. They made perfect areas for aircraft to land and take off. As we spoke about, many of these farms buried their kinfolk uh, on those said lands so having people buried at the airport was not unheard of same as we've seen at new orleans during the 1980s the savannah hilton head international airport started building an extension dodson's descendants were contacted and once again the family had refused to locate the remains of their ancestors so during the military days they were adjacent to the runway they built the runway and the tombstones remained adjacent to it. When they expanded the airport, they were actually taking the runway over the grave sites. Since it was impossible to remove the remains without the consent of the next of kin, the people at the Savannah-Hilton Head International Airport paved over the graves in order to build the runway. The Dotson family refused to remove Richard and Catherine and wished that they would stay buried where they are forever. The Savannah-Hilton Head Airport paid its respects by reaching this consensus with the Dotson families and embedding the two tombstones into the runway. But did they remain undisturbed forever? Savannah International Airport, which recently had 2.5 million passengers go through its doors, joyful reunions and tearful goodbyes. But beneath the bustling surface, the rumors of a ghostly presence circulated among airport staff and frequent visitors. According to tales, the ghost is believed to either be the disturbed graves of those buried next to and now under the runway, or perhaps a pilot that met an unfortunate accident during World War II. At night, when the airport is quiet and mostly deserted, some staff who stay over claim they have heard faint, ghostly aircraft engines roaring in the distance, or perhaps the sound of farm equipment from years gone by. Occasionally, the flight crews experience inexplicable malfunctions of their instruments, only to have everything returned to normal. Is this the operations of normal flight, or something more sinister? Airport employees speak of eerie encounters in abandoned hangars and maintenance areas, tools that have gone missing. Maybe somebody with sticky fingers? Perhaps. Maybe a ghost who has been disturbed? Nobody really knows. One night, on a chilling account, Cleaning crews who worked the night shift claimed while sweeping the floors in the terminal building they would feel an inexplicable cold breeze that sent shivers down their spine even on the hottest summer nights of Savannah. Some of the bravest souls attempted to communicate with spirits, leaving messages and asking questions, hoping for a response. Whether or not these ghostly events are real or fake remains a subject of debate. Still the legend persists, passed down from generation to generation. And the gravestones exist as we taxi over them. Adds to the charm of Savannah, Georgia. For our next layover story, we're heading to Chandler Executive Airport, which is which is located in Fresno, California. But we're going to go into the stats a little bit of the airport. Uh, since it's an executive airport catering to general aviation. It has uh, one runway, 1230, which is uh, 3,627 feet long. So... Catering, Jeff Miller style of flying in 172 or maybe a Remos. The Remos I was training in was actually out in California. So who knows? Maybe it is down this way now. California is home to many great airports. I can say I've never had the pleasure of either Chandler or KFAT. A brief history on the airport. Chandler Airfield started unofficially after World War I when pilots would land on the empty field owned by the state senator Wilbur Chandler and his wife, Edna. For several years, the Fresno Chamber of Commerce tried to pass bond measures that would allow them to purchase the land for use as an airport. They did not have any success in doing this, but in 1929, the Chandlers gave 100 acres of their farm to the city to use for an airport. November of that year, the airport was officially dedicated, and soon several buildings were erected to service the airport. In March of 1930, the airport received Charles Lindbergh, and his wife landed at the airport. They were greeted by a crowd of over 20,000 spectators. In 1936, construction began on the terminal. It was what was referred to as a streamlined modern, an architectural popular in the 1930s. Chandler was a busy airport, except for during World War II. Then it was used as a military base, similar to what we heard back in the Savannah story, as we talked about. That story rings true kind of across the United States during those years. So after the war, airliners started to refuse to land at chandlers citing that the runway was too small and the amenities at the airport could not service new type of aircraft that were on the market for the most part flights at chandlers had ceased and most traffic diverted to the recently built fresno air terminal to this day chandler is not nearly as busy as it used to be it does see some of traffic mostly general aviation terminal which now serves for the administration offices received the most foot traffic out of all the buildings that still exist at the airport, as it was the passenger terminal when this was a commercial airport. As it seems, though, to this point, some of the people that pass through these doors have never left. Staff that works at the airport speak of a variety of phenomenons that happen within the walls of the terminal and within the land of the airport. It seems the main terminal area where most of the activity is taking place Workers at the airport claim to have seen several figures emerge from walls near where you would buy a ticket back in the day, only to have them walk across the room oblivious to the fact that anybody was watching them. Others have seen a figure of an older man in the air traffic control tower, which is located on the second story of the administration building, staring out into the field as if he is watching for invisible planes taking off and landing. Was this once an air traffic controller at the airport, still on duty? Others have reported seeing this apparition outside the building. Also seeing figures moving inside and upon entering the terminal building that is found to be completely empty. However, the airport terminal is not the only area that shows activity. The restaurant that is adjacent to the terminal area is still very active in its own right. Staff in there have heard voices late at night while they're closing, yet no one else is in the building. Even more interesting, kitchen staff members that are cleaning up in the middle of the night hear rattling noises throughout the building. They look to the direction to where the noise was coming from and saw a plate wobbling across the countertop as it fell over the edge and onto the floor. This was late at night, there was no aircraft or vehicles in the vicinity to cause this disturbance. As with any haunting, it's always hard to say what's causing activity. But given the age and the countless number of people who passed through the doors, isn't it just possible that after death someone decided to stay on the watch? If you find yourself flying or driving through Chandler, maybe stop by and pay the Hangar Cafe a visit. Even if you're on your own, well maybe you'll have some company on this trip. They probably won't pick up the tab though. So we found ourselves in two warmer destinations, Savannah, Georgia and Fresno, California. While one has a little more humidity and the other, well, let's just say it's not the beach of California, but they're both still warm. So maybe it's time to head to a colder destination. Way cold. How about Duluth, Minnesota? Home to Cirrus Aircraft Manufacturing, right? Which always seems like an odd choice that someone would decide to manufacture in Duluth, Minnesota, next to Lake Superior. I'm sure that they have a sweetheart deal from the airport, so that probably helps you set up shop wherever you like. But for this story, we're going to get into a murder that happened next to the airport. And maybe that person's still lingering on. Maybe that person is still causing chaos. Or perhaps they're just trying to catch a flight. Or maybe avenge their death. Duluth, Minnesota Airport. Last Delta Airspace. Runway 927-321. 321 321 is 5,719 feet and 10,591 feet for runway 927. Plenty of distance to take off and land those Cirrus aircraft. But as we have kicked this off now, let's go back to the original reason why we're talking about Duluth, Minnesota. And this is a story of an employee in the small city of Duluth, nestled on the shores of Lake Superior. Duluth International Airport served its community for decades. Most days, it was a bustling place with travelers coming and going, but there was one story that circulated among airport workers that sent chills down their spines. The tale revolved around a tragic incident that occurred several years before. It was a cold winter night, and the airport usually was quiet. The employee, dedicated and friendly airport worker, was finishing up her late shift. She was the last one in the terminal that night, preparing for early morning flights. As she walked through the dimly lit hallways, She suddenly heard faint cries for help coming from outside. Curious and concerned, she rushed towards the source of the sound. As she got closer to the airport's perimeter, she saw a shadowy figure staggering towards her, desperately seeking assistance. It was a woman, disheveled and bloody, with a deep, haunting look in her eyes. Sarah immediately called for emergency services and tried to comfort the injured woman until help arrived. The woman managed to whisper a few words before she succumbed to her injuries. Her last words were, he stabbed me near the woods. When authority arrived promptly, an investigation began. Airport workers were deeply affected by the tragic incident. In particular, the employee that stood nearby was haunted by the woman's final moments. In the weeks that followed, strange things started happening around the airport. Lights flickered inexplicably, doors creaked open and shut on their own, and an eerie whisper could be heard in the silence of the night. Some claimed to have seen a faint figure wandering the terminal corridors resembling the woman who had lost her life that fateful night. As time went on, the legend of the haunting of the Duluth airport spread among workers. Many were too afraid to work the night shift, and those who did often found themselves on edge. There has been reports of the women wandering the halls, called into security, saying somebody needs help. But when authorities arrive, nobody's there. For most people, the airport isn't their final destination. But unfortunately, in this case, that seems to be what happened. So when you find yourself in the Duluth, Minnesota airport, be sure to check your surroundings often. And render any assistance that you can to people that ask for help. Because if not, you just may upset the spirit world. Okay, that was a bit cold of a tale there. Maybe it's time to head back to another warm destination. The largest airport on our list, and a very, very sunny destination, and this country's 50th state, HNL, or Daniel K. Anua International Airport in Honolulu, Hawaii. This airport is, of course, the main airport for the Hawaiian Islands, featured in such shows as Magnum P.I., for those people that remember, that was an amazing MD five hundred helicopter that TC rode around in. Magnum paint job, eh, okay, could have lose a, a little bit of help on it, right? Brown, yellow, orange. Of course, now that I think about it, it's kind of the old livery of Southwest. So uh, maybe that was just uh, something that attracted people back in the day, or now you can actually take a ride in that helicopter if you stay on the North Shore at the Turtle Bay Creek. I think it's Turtle Bay Creek Resorts. I stayed there once before they had the helicopter. It may just be Turtle Bay. You can look it up. North Shore, head up that way. Nice hotel. Go for a helicopter ride. But back to the airport. So we have eight left to two six right at 12,312 feet, eight right at two six left at twelve thousand feet, four right and two two left at nine thousand and two feet. 4 left and 2,2 two right at 6,955 feet. And interesting enough, we have 8W, six w 4W, and 2,2W. For those of you wondering what the W stands for, the surface is water. Uh, interesting fact about all airports in Hawaii, kind of like Alaska, they are all state-run airports. Uh, So most airports in the United States are municipality run of some kind. So usually a local jurisdiction, county, city, or authority. In this case, as the case with Alaska, the state actually runs all the airport systems. So if you work for an airport in Hawaii, you actually work for the state of Hawaii. But let's get into our ghostly tale of the Honolulu International Airport. Honolulu International Airport is in the heart of paradise. Legend has it that the Honolulu Airport is haunted by a woman in a white dress. They call her the Lady in Waiting because people at the airport have reported seeing her peering out onto the runway waiting. She often appears in restricted areas and is described as a female with blonde hair and a white dress. Her story tells us, She had fallen for a man who promised to marry her but never returned. She was so distraught that she killed herself. Now she haunts the airport, waiting for his arrival. While she is often seen waiting, other things have happened that have been attributed to her or other ghosts. There have been reports of unraveling of toilet paper, toilet seats slamming, a figure riding in the airport shuttle after midnight, and a ghost that sits on people's chests as if to choke them. If you dare explore the haunted airport... Make sure you pack Nerves of Steel along with your Hawaiian t shirt. It's an interesting way to haunt. I would think slamming of toilet seats. I could say at O'Hare, immense bathroom is very haunted. <laughs> um, the legend of the lady in waiting haunting Honolulu National Airport is an intriguing and spooky tale. Such ghost stories as this or the other one we've talked about today add an extra layer of mystique in an already fascinating place. It is worth noting that ghost stories, of course, are legends, often mixed with local folklore, historical events, and, of course, human imagination. The Lady in Waiting tale is a classic ghost story motif of a woman abandoned by her lover, leading to her tragic demise and subsequent haunting. Such legends are common in many cultures and have been passed down through generations. As for the reported Paranormal activities at the airport, like unraveling toilet paper, slamming toilet seats, and other ghostly encounters. These experiences are part of a broader spectrum of supernatural claims often associated with haunted locations. People may attribute unusual occurrences to the presence of spirits or ghosts, spread through word of mouth, perpetrating the legend even further. However, it's essential to approach these tales with a healthy dose of skepticism. While they do add excitement to our plane travels and mysteries to a place, there is no scientific evidence to support the existence of ghosts or paranormal phenomena. Many factors can be contributed to seemingly unexplained events, such as natural noises, psychological effects, environmental factors, and more. If you find yourself exploring the Honolulu International Airport, the Savannah International Airport, Duluth Airport, or our friends out in Fresno, Keep in mind the rich culture and history of the locations. It can be a captivating any past with plenty of natural wonders that are worth discovering during any visit. And I think that's really what this tale is, right? We look at the airports that we travel through. We look at the industry we're in. There's a lot of interest around these stories. I find them interesting. Always with a, a dose of skepticism, as we spoke about but I hope you enjoyed this episode today. Like I said, we're going to try to get one of these out every week, try to focus on different things. Maybe something like this that's a little more, let's say, uh, fiction-based. And then go back to you know stories of uh, aircraft incidents, accidents, uh, who knows kind of the whole spectrum of it. Uh, if you're finding yourself in Oshkosh this week, I hope you, that you are having a great time. Wish I could have made it up this, there this year, but just was not in the cards for me. So uh, until next time, we will see you down the runway.